Chapter One of Egyptian Papyri, First Series. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Timothy Ferguson. Egyptian Tales, First Series by Sir W. M. Flinders Petrie. Chapter One: Tales of the Magicians. One day, when King Khufu reigned over all the land, he said to his chancellor, who stood before him. Go call me my sons and my counsellors, that I may ask them of a thing. And his sons and his counsellors came, and stood before him, and he said to them, Know ye a man who can tell me tales of the deeds of the magicians? Then the royal son Caphra stood forth and said, I will tell thy majesty a tale of the days of thy forefather Nebka, the blessed, of what came to pass when he went into the temple of Tar of Anktawi. Kaphra's tale. His Majesty was walking unto the temple of Tar, and went unto the house of the chief reciter, Uba Anna, with his train. Now, when the wife of Uba Anna saw a page among those who stood behind the king, her heart longed after him, and she sent her servant unto him with a present of a box full of garments. And he came then with the servant. Now there was a lodge in the garden of Uba-Anna, and one day the page said to the wife of Uba-Anna, In the garden of Uba-Anna there is now a lodge. Behold, let us therein take our pleasure. So the wife of Uba-Anna sent to the steward who had charge over the garden, saying, Let the lodge which is in the garden be made ready. And she remained there, and rested, and drank with the page until the sun went down. And when the even was now come, the page went forth to bathe, and the steward said, I must go and tell Uba-Anna of this matter. Now, when this day was past, and another day came, then went the steward to Uba-Anna, and told him of all these things. Then said Uba-Anna, Bring me my casket of ebony and electrum. And they bought it. And he fashioned a crocodile out of wax, seven fingers long, and he enchanted it, and said, When the page comes and bathes in my lake, seize on him. And he gave it to the steward, and said to him, When the page shall go down into the lake to bathe, as he is daily wont to do, then throw in this crocodile behind him. And the steward went forth, bearing the crocodile. And the wife of Uba-Anna sent to the steward who had charge over the garden, saying, let the lodge which is in the garden be made ready, for I come to tarry there. And the lodge was prepared with all good things, and she came and made merry therein with the page. And when the even was now come, the page went forth to bathe as he was wont to do, and the steward cast in the wax crocodile after him into the water. And behold, it became a great crocodile seven cubits in length, and it seized on the page. And Uba-Anna abode yet seven days with the king of Upper and Lower Egypt, Nebka, the blessed, while the page was stifled in the crocodile. And after the seven days were passed, the king of Upper and Lower Egypt, Nebka, the blessed, went forth, and Uba-Anna went before him. And Uba-Anna said unto his majesty, Will your majesty come and see this wonder that has come to pass in your days unto a page? And the king went with Uba-Anna, and Uba-Anna called unto the crocodile, and said, Bring forth the page. And the crocodile came forth from the lake with the page. 
Uber Anna said unto the king, Behold, whatever I command this crocodile, he will do it. And his majesty said, I pray you send back this crocodile. And Uba Anna stooped, and took up the crocodile, and it became in his hand a crocodile of wax. And then Uba Anna told the king that which had passed in his house, with the page and his wife. And his majesty said unto the crocodile, Take to thee thy prey. And the crocodile plunged into the lake with his prey, and no man knew whither he went. And his majesty, the king of Upper and Lower Egypt, Nebka the Blessed, commanded. And they brought forth the wife of Uba Anna to the north side of the harem, and burnt her with fire, and cast her ashes in the river. This is a wonder that came to pass in the days of thy forefather, the king of Upper and Lower Egypt, Nebka, of the acts of the chief reciter, Uba Anna. His Majesty, the King of Upper and Lower Egypt, Khufu, said, Let there be presented to the King Nebka, the blessed, a thousand loaves, a hundred draughts of beer, an ox, two jars of incense, and let there be presented a loaf, a jar of beer, a jar of incense, and a piece of meat to the chief reciter Uba Anna, for I have seen the token of his learning. And they did all things as His Majesty commanded. Balfra's Tale the royal son Balfra then stood forth and spake, he said, I will tell thy majesty of a wonder which came to pass in the days of thy father Senefuru, the blessed, of the deeds of the chief reciter Zazamank. One day King Senefuru, being weary, went through his palace, seeking for a pleasure to lighten his heart, but he found none. And he said, Haste, and bring before me the chief reciter and scribe of the roll, Zazamank. And they straightway brought him. And the king said, I have sought in my palace for some delight, but I have found none. Then said Zazamank to him, Let thy majesty go upon the lake of the palace, and let there be made ready a boat, with all the fair maidens of the harem of thy palace, and the heart of thy majesty shall be refreshed with the sight, in seeing their rowing up and down the water, and seeing the goodly pools of the birds upon the lake, and beholding its sweet fields and grassy shores, thus will thy heart be lightened, and I also will go with thee. Bring me twenty oars of ebony inlaid with gold, with blades of light wood inlaid with electrum, and bring me twenty maidens fair in their limbs, their bosoms and their hair, all virgins, and bring me twenty nets, and give these nets unto the maidens for their garments. And they did according to all the commands of his majesty. And they rowed down the stream and up the stream, and the heart of his majesty was glad with the sight of their rowing. But one of them, at the steering, struck her hair, and her jewel of new malachite fell into the water, and she ceased her song, and rowed not, and her companions ceased, and rowed not, and his majesty said, Row you not further? And they replied, Our little steerer here stays, and rows not. His majesty then said to her, Wherefore rowest thou not? She replied, It is for my jewel of new malachite, which is fallen in the water. And he said to her, Row on, for behold, I will replace it. And she answered, But I want my own piece back in its setting. And his majesty said, Haste, 
bring me the chief reciter Zazamank. And they bought him. And his majesty said, Zazamank, my brother, I have done as thou sayest, and the heart of his majesty is refreshed with the sight of their rowing. But now a jewel of new malachite of one of the little ones is fallen in the water, and she ceases and rows not, and she has spoilt the rowing of her side, and I said to her, Wherefore rowest thou not? And she answered me, It is for my jewel of new malachite which has fallen in the water. I replied to her, Row on, for, behold, I will replace it. And she answered to me, But I want my own piece back again in its setting. Then the chief reciter Zazamank spake his magic speech, and he placed one part of the waters of the lake upon the other, and discovered the jewel lying upon a shard, and he took it up and gave it unto its mistress. And the water, which was twelve cubits deep in the middle, reached now to twenty-four cubits after he turned it. And he spake, and used his magic speech, and he brought again the water of the lake to its place. And his majesty spent a joyful day with the whole of the royal house. Then rewarded he the chief reciter Zazamank with all good things. Behold, this is a wonder that came to pass in the days of thy father, the king of Upper and Lower Egypt, Seneferu, of the deeds of the chief reciter, the scribe of the rolls, Zazamank. Then said the majesty of the king of Upper and Lower Egypt, Khufu the Blessed, Let there be presented an offering of a thousand cakes, one hundred draughts of beer, an ox, and two jars of incense, to the king of Upper and Lower Egypt, Seneferu the Blessed. And let there be given a loaf, a jar of beer, and a jar of incense, to the chief reciter, the scribe of the rolls, Zazamank, for I have seen the token of his learning. And they did all things as his majesty commanded. Hordedef's Tale The royal son Hordedef then stood forth and spake. He said, Hitherto hast thou only heard tokens of those who have gone before, and of which no man knoweth their truth. But I will show thy majesty a man of thine own days. And his majesty said, Who is he, Hordedef? And the royal son Hordedef answered, It is a certain man named Dedi, who dwells at Dednesferu. He is a man of one hundred and ten years old, and he eats five hundred loaves of bread and a side of beef, and drinks one hundred draughts of beer unto this day. He knows how to restore the head that is smitten off. He knows how to cause the lion to follow him, trailing his halter on the ground. He knows the designs of the dwelling of Tahuti. The majesty of the king of Upper and Lower Egypt, Khufu the Blessed, has long sought for the designs of the dwelling of Tahuti, that he may make the like of them in his pyramid. And his majesty said, Thou thyself, Hordedef, my son, bring him to me. Then were the ships made ready for the king's son Hordedef, and he went up the stream to Dedsneferu. And when the ships had moored at the haven, he landed, and sat him in a litter of ebony, the poles of which were of cedar wood overlaid with gold. Now when he drew near to Dedi, they set down the litter, and he arose to greet Dedi, and found him lying on a palm-stick couch at the door of his house. One servant held his head and rubbed him, and another rubbed his feet. And the king's son Hordedef said, Thy state is that of one who lives to good old age. 
for old age is the end of our voyage, the time of embalming, the time of burial. Lie then in the sun, free of infirmities, without the babble of dotage. This is the salutation to worthy age. I come from far to call thee, with a message from my father, Khufu the blessed. For thou shalt eat of the best which the king gives, and of the food which those have who follow after him that he may bring thee in good estate to thy fathers, who are in the tomb. And Dedi replied to him, Peace to thee, peace to thee, Hordedef, son of the king, beloved of his father. May thy father Khufu the blessed praise thee. May he advance thee amongst the elders. May thy car prevail against the enemy. May thy soul know the right road to the gate of him who clothes the afflicted. This is the salutation to the king's son. Then the king's son Hordedev stretched forth his hands to him, and raised him up, and went with him to the haven, giving unto him his arm. Then said Dedi, Let there be given me a boat, to bring me my youths and my books. And they made ready for him two boats with their rowers. And Dedi went down the river in the barge, in which was the king's son Hordedev. And when he had reached the palace, the king's son Hordedev entered in to give account unto his majesty the king of upper and lower egypt then said the king's son hodedef o king life wealth and health my lord i have bought dedi his majesty replied bring him to me speedily and his majesty went into the hall of columns of pharaoh life wealth and health and dedi was led before him and his majesty said wherefore is it dedi that i have not yet seen thee and dedi answered he who is called it is that comes the king life wealth and health calls me and behold i come and his majesty said is it true that which men say that thou canst restore the head which is smitten off and dedi replied truly i know that o king life wealth and health my lord and his majesty said, Let one bring me a prisoner who is in prison, that his punishment may be fulfilled. And Dedi said, Let it not be a man, O king, my lord. Behold, we do not even thus to our cattle. And a duck was brought unto him, and its head was cut off. And the duck was laid on the west side of the hall, and its head on the east side of the hall. And Dedi spake his magic speech and the duck fluttered along the ground and its head came likewise and when it had come part to part the duck stood and quack and they brought likewise a goose before him and he did even so unto it his majesty caused an ox to be bought and its head cast on the ground and dedi spake his magic speech and the ox stood upright behind him and followed him with his halter trailing on the ground and King Khufu said, And is it true what is said that thou knowest the number of the designs of the dwelling of Tahuti? And Dedi replied, Pardon me, I know not their number, O king, life, wealth, and health, but I know where they are. And his majesty said, Where is that? And Dedi replied, There is a chest of whetstone in a chamber named the Plan Room in Heliopolis. They are in this chest. And Dedi said further unto him, O king, life, wealth, and health, my lord, it is not I that is to bring them to thee. And his majesty said, 
who then is it that shall bring them to me and Dedi answered to him it is the eldest of the three children who are in the body of Radidet, who shall bring them to thee and his majesty said would that it may be as thou sayest and who is this Radidet? and Dedi replied she is the wife of a priest of ra lord of sakhebu and she has conceived these three sons of ra lord of sakhebu and the god has promised her that they shall fulfil this noble office of reigning over all this land and that the eldest of them shall be high priest in heliopolis and his majesty's heart became troubled for this but did he spake unto him what is this that thou thinkest o king life wealth and health my lord is it because of these three children i tell thee thy son shall reign and thy son's son and then one of them his majesty said and when shall radidet bear these and he replied she shall bear them on the twenty-sixth of the month tybi and his majesty said when the banks of the canal of litoopolis are cut i will walk there that i may see the temple of ra lord of sekhebu and did he replied then i will cause that there be four cubits of water by the banks of the canal of litoopolis when his majesty returned to his palace his majesty said let them place Dedi in the house of the royal son Hordedef, that he may dwell with him, and let them give him a daily portion of a thousand loaves, a hundred draughts of beer, an ox, and a hundred bunches of onions. And they did everything as his majesty commanded. And one day it came to pass that Radedet felt the pains of birth, and the majesty of Ra, lord of Sekhebu, said unto Isis, to Nebhat, to Meskent, to Hat and to Knumu. Go ye and deliver Radidet of these three children that she shall bear, who are to fulfil this noble office over all this land, that they may build up your temples, furnish your altars with offerings, supply your tables of libation, and increase your endowments. Then went these deities. Their fashion they made as that of dancing girls, and Numu was with them as a porter they drew near unto the house of Ra'usa, and found him standing with his girdle fallen. And they played before him with their instruments of music, but he said unto them, My ladies, behold, there is a woman who feels the pains of birth. They said to him, Let us see her, for we know how to help her. And he replied, Come then. And they entered in straight away to Radidet, and they closed the door on her and on themselves. Then Isis stood before her, and Nebhat stood behind her, and Hact helped her, and Isis said, O child, by thy name of Usareth, do not do violence. And the child came upon her hands, as a child of a cubit. Its bones were strong, the beauty of its limbs was like gold, and its hair was like true lapis lazuli. They washed him, and prepared him, and placed him on a carpet on the brickwork then miss kent approached him and said this is a king who shall reign over all the land and numu gave him strength to his limbs then isis stood before her and nebhat stood behind her and hact helped her and isis said o child by thy name of sara stay not in her then the child came upon her hands a child of a cubit its bones were strong the beauty of its limbs was like gold and its hair was like true lapis lazuli. 
They washed him and prepared him and laid him on a carpet on the brickwork. Then Miss Kent approached him and said, This is a king who shall reign over all the land. And Numu gave strength to his limbs. Then Isis stood before her and Nebhat stood behind her and Hakt helped her and Isis said, O child, by thy name of Kaku remain not in darkness in her. And the child came upon her hands, a child of a cubit, and its bones were strong. The beauty of its limbs was like gold, and its hair was like true lapis lazuli. And Meskent approached him, and said, This is a king who shall reign over all the land. And Numu gave strength to his limbs, and they washed him and prepared him, and laid him on a carpet on the brickwork. And the deities went out, having delivered Radidat of the three children. And they said, Rejoice, O Ra-Usa, for, behold, three children are born unto thee. And he said unto them, My ladies, and what shall I give unto ye? Behold, give this bushel of barley here unto your porter, that ye may take it as your reward to the brew-house. And Numu loaded himself with the bushel of barley. And they went away toward the place from which they came. And Isis spake unto these goddesses, and said, Wherefore have we come without doing a marvel for these children, that we may tell it to their father who has sent us? Then made they the divine diadems of the king, life, wealth, and health, and laid them in the bushel of barley. And they caused the clouds to come with wind and rain. And they turned back again unto the house, and they said, let us put this barley in a closed chamber sealed up until we return northward dancing. And they placed the barley in a closed chamber. And Radidat purified herself with purification of fourteen days. And she said to her handmaid, Is the house made ready? And she replied, All things are made ready, but the brewing barley is not yet brought. And Radidat said, Wherefore is the brewing barley not yet brought? And the servant said, it would all of it long since be ready if the barley had not been given to the dancing girls and lay in the chamber under their seal radidat said go down and bring of it and ra user will give them in its stead when he shall come and the handmaid went and opened the chamber and she heard talking and singing music and dancing quavering and all things which are performed for a king in his chamber and she returned and told to Radidat all that she had heard. And she went through the chamber, but she found not the place where the sound was. And she laid her temple to the sack, and found that the sounds were in it. She placed it in a chest, and put that in another locker, and tied it fast with leather, and laid it in the storeroom, where the things were, and sealed it. And Ra-Usa came from the field, and Radidat repeated unto him these things. And his heart was glad above all things. And they sat down and made a joyful day. And after these days it came to pass that Radidath was wroth with her servant, and beat her with stripes. And the servant said unto those that were in the house, Shall it be done thus to me? She has borne three kings, and I will go and tell this to his majesty, King Khufu the Blessed. And she went, and found the eldest brother of her mother, who was binding his flax on the floor, and he said to her, Whither goest thou, my little maid? And she told him of all these things, and her brother said to her, Wherefore comest thou thus to me? Shall I agree to treachery? And he took a bunch of flax to her, and laid on her a violent blow. And the servant went to fetch a handful of water, and a crocodile carried her away.
Her uncle went, therefore, to tell of this to Radidet, and he found Radidet sitting, her head on her knees, and her heart beyond measure sad. And he said to her, My lady, why makest thou thy heart thus? And she answered, It is because of this little wretch that was in the house. Behold, she went out, saying, I will go and tell it. And he bowed his head unto the ground, and said, My lady, she came and told me of these things, and made her complaint unto me. And I laid on her a violent blow, and she went forth to draw water, and a crocodile carried her away. The rest of the tale is lost. Remarks The tales of the magicians are preserved only in a single copy, and of that the beginning of the story is entirely lost. The papyrus was bought from Egypt by an English traveller, and was purchased by the Berlin Museum from the property of Lepsius, who had received it from the owner, Mr. Westcar. Hence it is known as the Westcar Papyrus. It was written probably in the twelfth dynasty, but doubtless embodied tales which had been floating for generations before about the names of the early kings. It shows us probably the kind of material that existed for the great recension of the pre-monumental history made in the time of Seti I. Those ages of the first three dynasties were as long before that recension as we are after it, and this must always be remembered in considering the authority of the Egyptian records. This papyrus has been more thoroughly studied than most, perhaps more than any other. Ehrman has devoted two volumes to it, publishing the whole in photographic facsimile, transcribed into hieroglyphs, transcribed into the modern alphabet, translated literally, translated freely, commented on and discussed word by word, with the complete glossary of all the words used in it. This exhaustive publication is named De Marchen des Papyrus Westcar. Moreover, Maspero has given it a current translation in the Contes Populares, second edition, pages 53 to 86. The scheme of these tales is that they are all told to King Khufu by his sons, and as the beginning is lost, eight lines are here added to explain this and introduce the subject. The actual papyrus begins with the last few words of a previous tale concerning some other magician under an earlier king. Then comes the tale of Kafra, next that of Balfra, and finally that of Hordedef. It need hardly be said that these tales are quite fictitious. The king and his successor Kafra are real, but the other sons cannot be identified, and the confusion of supposing three kings of the fifth dynasty to be triplets, born early in the fourth dynasty, shows what very vague ideas of their own histories the Egyptians had when these tales were formed. This does not prevent our seeing that they embodied some very important traditions, and gives us an unequalled picture of the early civilization. In the earliest tale of the three there seems at first sight merely a sketch of faithlessness and revenge, but there is probably much more in it. To read it aright we must bear in mind the position of woman in ancient Egypt. If in later ages Islam has gone to the extreme of man determining his own divorce at a word, in earlier times, almost the opposite system prevailed. All property belonged to the woman. All that a man could earn or inherit was made over to his wife, and families always reckoned back further on the mother's side than the father's. As the changes in historical times have been in the direction of men's rights, it is very unlikely that this system of female predominance was invented or introduced, but rather that it descends from primitive times. In this tale we see, then, 
at the beginning of our knowledge of the country the clashing of two different social systems the reciter is strong for men's rights he brings destruction on the wife and never even gives her name but always merely calls her the wife of uber anna but behind all this there is probably the remains of a very different system the servant employed by the mistress seems to see nothing outrageous in her proceedings even the steward who is on the master's side waits a day or two before reporting matters when we remember the supremacy in property and descent which women held in egypt and then read this tale it seems that it belongs to the close of a social system like that of the nares in which the lady makes her selection with variations from time to time the incident of sending a present of clothing is curiously like the tale about a certain english envoy whose proprieties were sadly ruffled in the nair country when a lady sent him a grand shawl with an intimation of her choice the priestesses of amon retained to the last this privilege of choice as being under divine and not human protection but it seems to have become unseemly in late times the hinging of this tale and of those that follow it upon the use of magic shows how thoroughly the belief in magic powers was ingrained in the egyptians now such a belief implies the presence of magicians and shows how familiar must have been the claim to such powers and the practising of tricks of witchcraft so prevalent in africa in modern times the efficacy of a model such as this crocodile of wax is an idea continually met with in egypt the system of tomb furniture and decoration of car statues of of ushabtis or figures to work for the deceased and the models placed in foundation deposits all show how a model was supposed to have the efficacy of an actual reality even in the latest tale of all written in ptolemaic times set now makes a model of a boat and men to be sunk in the river to work for him the reconversion of the crocodile to wax on being taken up by the magician reminds us of the serpent becoming a rod again when taken up by aaron the punishment of burning alive is very rarely if ever mentioned in egyptian history though it occurs in modern egyptian tales and it looks as if it were brought in here rather as a dire horror for the climax than as a probable incident the place of the penalty in front of the harem or the private portion of the palace was evidently for the intimidation of other ladies at the close of each tale king khufu to whom it is told orders funerary offerings by the usual formula to be presented in honour of the king under whom the wonders took place on the tablets of the tombs in the early times there is usually recorded the offering or rather the pious desire that there should be offered thousands of loaves of oxen of gazelles of cranes and such for a deceased person such expression costs no more by the thousand than by the dozen so thousands came to be the usual expression in all ordaining of offerings we are so accustomed to think of tedium as something modern that it seems strange to find in the oldest tales in the world how the first king of whom we know anything was bored by his pleasures a reward for discovering a new pleasure is the very basis of the tale of sneferu and the wise man's remedy of a day in the country is still the best resource though all that we know as human history has tried its own experiments and enjoyments since then the flavour of the ballet thrown in by the introduction of the damsels of the household clad in fishing nets is not yet obsolete in modern amusements and even in this century muhammad ali had resource to the same way of killing time as he was rowed about by his harem 
but on an artificial lake. The use of two large oars for steering explains the detail of the story. The oars were one on each side of the stern, and were each managed by a steerer. From the tale we see the steerer led the song of the rowers, and if the leader ceased, all that side of the boat ceased also. The position of the lost jewel upon the hair shows that it was a fillet set within laying, like that seen on early figures, such as Nefert at Medum, who wears a fillet of rosettes to retain the hair, and the position of the steering oar attached to the post, with the handle rising high in the air, explains how it could strike the fillet and displace the jewel. The last tale is really double, a tale within a tale. It begins with the wonders done by Deddy, and then goes on with the history of the children about whom he prophesied to Khufu. The village of Deddy was probably near Medum. As in the temple of Snafuru at Medum, an offering was found, presented by a worshipper to the gods of dead Snafuru, hence the background which is here given for the scene of Hordedef leading old Dedi. The translation of the designs of the dwelling of Tahuti is not certain, but the passage seems to refer to some architectural plan that was desired for the pyramid. The story of Radidet is remarkable historically. She is said to be the wife of the priest of Ra, her children are the sons of Ra, and they are the first three kings of the fifth dynasty, and supplanted the line of Khufu. This points to the 5th dynasty having been a priestly usurpation, and so on looking at its history we see two confirmations of this. The title Son of Ra is so common in most ages in Egypt that it is taken for granted and is applied in lists to any second cartouche. But it is not found until well until the 5th dynasty. The earlier kings were not descendants of Ra, and it is only on arriving at this dynasty which claimed descent from Ra through the wife of the priest of Ra, that we find the claim of each king to be a son of Ra. Another confirmation of this priestly descent is the abundance of priesthoods established for the kings of the fifth dynasty, a care which agrees with their having a priestly origin. While in the tale it is particularly said that they would build up the temples, furnish the altars with offerings, supply the tables with libations, and increase the religious endowments. The names of the three children are a play upon the names of the first three kings of the fifth dynasty. Usakaf is made into Usaref, Sahura is written Sara, and Kaka is Kaku, thus making allusions to their births. The comparison of the hair to the true lapis lazuli seems very strange, but there is often a confusion between black and blue, and Azrak means either dark blue or green, or black in present Arabic. Lapis Lazuli is brought into the name of the queen of Ramisu the sixth, who was called, who was called Golden Lazuli, Nub Kesdeb, recalling the comparison here of personal beauty to these precious metals. It is noticeable here that in a tale of the fifth dynasty, certainly written as early as the twelfth dynasty, we find professional dancers commonly recognized and going on travels through the country with a porter. From this tale we also learn that Egyptian women underwent a purification of fourteen days, during which they kept apart and did not attend to any household matters. The mistress of the house here inquires if the preparations are made for the feast on her return to household affairs, and hears how the beer cannot be made, for lack of the barley. The securing of the sack is just in accord with the remains of this early period. The use of boxes, of thongs of leather for tying, and of clay seals for securing property, were all familiar matters in the twelfth dynasty, as we learn from Cahun.
The present close of the tale is evidently only a stage in it, when the treacherous maid meets with the common doom of the wicked in Egyptian romance. How it was continued is a matter of speculation, but Khufu ought certainly to reappear, and to order great rewards for Dedi, who up to this has only had maintenance on his requisite scale provided for him. Yet it is imperative that the children shall be saved from his wrath, as they are the kings of the fifth dynasty. There may be a long episode lost of their flight and adventures. One reference to a date needs notice. The 25th of the month, Tibi, is said to be the predicted birthday of the children, and Khufu refers to going to Sakhibu at about that time, apparently, when the banks of the canal are cut and the land was drying after the inundation. The 25th of the month, Tibi, is said to be the predicted birthday of the children, and Khufu refers to going to Sekhibu about that time, apparently, when the banks of the canal are cut and the land was drying after the inundation, whereon Dedi threatens that the water shall still be deep there. This points to the 25th Tibi being about the close of the inundation. This would be about the case in the beginning of the 4th dynasty, and also in the 12th dynasty, when the papyrus was perhaps written. Hence there is nothing conclusive to draw from this allusion so far, but when we compare this tale with those following, we see good ground for its belonging to a time before the 12th dynasty. The following tale of the peasant and the workman evidently belongs to the ninth or 10th dynasties, when Heracleopolis was the capital, and Sanahat is certainly of the 12th dynasty. Yet in those we see character and incident made the basis of interest, in the place of the childish profusion of marvels of the tales of the magicians. It seems impossible not to suppose that they belong to very different ages and canons of taste, and hence we cannot refer the crudities of the Khufu tales to the time of the far more elaborate and polished recital of the adventures of Sanahat in the Twelfth Dynasty. Being thus obliged to suppose an earlier date for these tales, the allusion to the month of Tibi throws us back to a very early period, the Fourth Dynasty, for their original outlines. Doubtless they were modified by reciters, and probably took shape in the fifth or sixth dynasties, but yet we must refer to them as belonging practically to the age to which they refer. End of chapter 1. Recording by Timothy Ferguson, Gold Coast, Australia.